I brought notes. Without them, I don't think I'm that good of a speaker. So this will help me stay on track. So good evening, everybody. My name is Patrick Hayes, and I am an alcoholic. And I'm having the best day of my life today. My sobriety date is May 18th of 1998. That means that if I make it to the middle of May this year, I'll have 24 years. I'm going to start out by uh, bowing my head and saying a word of prayer just because it's going to go a lot better if I start that way. And if I forget, I think it's going to be a mess. So, uh, uh, Lord, I just want to ask that you'd please have your hand of blessing upon all we do and say here tonight. And, uh, God, I'd really like it a lot if you would have me say what you want to say and not have me say what I want to say. And, God, I just pray that, you know, us talking about my life story and this program helps one of us in some way. Um, pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay. So before we start, I'm going to, I wanted to kind of ask a question and you're alcoholic, so I don't expect you to play along, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You have two options here tonight. Do you want the ugly truth or do you want a beautiful lie? Okay, so I ask you this because I came from back east. I grew up in New Jersey. And in New Jersey, you get the ugly truth all the time. If someone doesn't like you, they're going to tell you that right to your face. And you're not going to have to wonder. You're going to know for sure. My wife is from California. And... Everyone out there lies to your face, but boy, it sounds nice. <laughs> they smile. So tonight, I can lie to you, and it'll sound good, or I can tell you the truth, and it's going to hurt a little bit, but <clears throat> show of hands, who wants the beautiful lie? Okay, we got one. Thank you for being honest, Amber. Okay. <laughs> who here wants the ugly truth? Okay, and who here is just too cool to participate and raise their hands? boy, you're alcoholics. You don't need to raise your hand. <laughs> I get it. Okay, so big important point number one. Avoid the beautiful lie people. They won't help you. Definitely don't get one to be your sponsor. Now, I'm going to try to keep my story about my drinking reasonably short. Um, as soon as you're convinced that I'm a real alcoholic, I'm going to try to move on to what's important, and that's the solution. I'm hoping that I spend the majority of time here uh, talking about the solution. And honestly, um, I'm just going to share the big things that I learned in my time in AA. None of it's special. <laughs> You've probably heard it all before, but these are the things that helped me in my life. I'm not going to tell you too much about my drinking because you all know how to drink, <laughs> right? Y'all got a PhD in drinking. Okay. So we're not going to, we're not going to focus too much on that. So as far back as I can remember, uh, I, Patrick Hayes was a weirdo. I didn't like that, but I was a weirdo my whole life. I never 
felt like I fit in. All the way back from, say, kindergarten, I just never fit in. I was the uh, chubby kid whose mama dressed him funny, so that didn't help. But uh, I never knew uh, how to fit in at school or at home. I never was real good at making my mom or dad happy. I never knew how to do that. I came from, I think, a pretty good home, but there were high standards, and I don't think I met them very often. I never knew how to fit in with any group of kids. I mean, just ever. And all I wanted to be was one of those normal kids that seemed to get along with all the other kids and they had fun and, you know, they had friends. Everything I thought just seemed so different from the way every other kid thought. And everything I did just seemed different and awkward and weird. And, and I had trouble making friends. Um, I had no idea what to say to girls. And all I knew was I just you know, wanted them to laugh at my jokes or smile at me, but man, I never could figure that out. I was always saying the wrong thing. I felt awkward in every scenario. Oh, and I used to get bullied mercilessly. I mean, all the time. I remember as a kid, I, I cried and I cried in the mornings, not wanting to go to school. I did not want to get on the bus. I begged my mom, you know, uh, to let me stay home. I hated going to school. You know, things changed and, and they got a little better when, uh, when I got into sports. I was, I was good at sports. I worked hard and, and that was a little better. I, I played an instrument and I was good at that and that was a little better. And, and when I was a freshman in high school, um, I finally made a really good friend. And it was such a relief. Like we just clicked and we had fun and we laughed and every, you know, just, it was just a, just a good friend. I don't know how many other guys out there struggle with this, but I still don't have a lot of good friends. I think most guys are pretty lucky if they can say, I have one really good friend where I can be myself around them. I can be sincere, you know, and they just love me because I'm me. It's, it's not that easy to find. I, I don't think it is. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm the only one. The beginning of my sophomore year, uh, this good friend of mine uh, died of cancer. And uh, I didn't know how to take that. It was hard. And uh, it, was, it was very lonely. And shortly after this, I started using drugs and I started drinking. I had a whole lot of loneliness and sadness and awkwardness and I didn't know how to deal with any of those and I remember the first time I had a drink and it was all gone and I felt comfortable around everybody and it was the most wonderful feeling I remember having as a child and pretty soon I was able to make friends. I was having fun. And uh, now I had this new hobby. And I looked forward to the weekends. I really did. Because even though the week was, you know, still filled with some of the same stuff, um, I had some people that, you know, I could hang out with and I had something to look forward to. 
and the weekends were where I could go to a party or a friend's house, and, and drinking was always part of the plan. And like all of us, none of us started out drinking so that we could throw up in our friend's hot tub and, you know, knock over something expensive on the way out the door at the party. None of us started there. Uh, None of us intended to get there. But I noticed something about my drinking, and that was that I, when I started to notice other people drinking, even at the age of high school kids, which, let's face it, we're not talking about the most responsible drinkers, right? We're not talking about the folks that have a sip of something and they set it down and it gets warm and they eat their meal and they go home. But even with stupid high schoolers, I was out of control. And I only learned this later on, but looking back on my life, I never had one drink in my entire life. Not one time. Never. And I didn't realize that that's weird. That is weird. Now, not to us, (laughs) but to the rest of the world, that's weird. I remember after I got sober, I'd be, you know, you're out for dinner with someone or you're at a meeting and someone would have a drink. And I remember the bartender or the waiter would come by and say, you know, would you like another? And they're like, nah, I think I'm okay. I was like, wow, I couldn't even imagine that. It blew me away that someone, like, you can say no? The way I drink was they just brought me another. They're like, oh, this guy's in for it. There was a problem with all this, and that was that drinking caused more problems. And the loneliness and the sadness and the awkwardness, they came back after the drink wore off. So it only fixed stuff for, you know, hours, a weekend. Uh, And then new problems arose. My grades suffered. I got a DUI. My family didn't trust me. You know, things started going, things started getting worse. Uh, I got more and more angry. And uh, I would get into fights at the drop of a hat. Uh, And in New Jersey, uh, you could duke it out in the, you know, alley behind a liquor store with anyone you wanted, and nobody called the cops. You you know, that was way different than out here. So, you know, fighting wasn't all that weird of a thing. You know, you slugged it out with people. And I started doing this even on the sports fields, you know, where I played sports for high school, and it didn't go as well there, and I'd get kicked off of teams, and I got expelled from high school. Uh, I couldn't keep a job. Uh, Then I got some new jobs. Started selling drugs. I started breaking into cars and burglarizing houses. I had a habit, and it was happening more and more often, and I needed money. Uh, I got arrested again and again. This is really what it came down to for me, and, if, and if, if this next part doesn't convince you that I'm an alcoholic, I got nothing for you. Uh, the drinking didn't work like it did years ago. So I felt awkward, a little weird, and I'd have a drink, have a couple drinks, and I'd have fun, and we'd have a good time, 
Now when I drank, I wasn't happy and having a good time because I was no longer a little sad and a little awkward and a little weird. Now I was depressed all the time. And when I would drink, it would pick me up to where I would just feel sad. There was no more breaking through that to get to happy. And then after that, pretty soon, I wanted to die. I was so miserable. I hated life so much. And I didn't see any way out. And I just wanted to die. And I would drink, and it would pick me all the way up to depression. And that was the best I could get when I drank. Happy and fun was gone. Uh, I drank alone. I drank in the mornings. I drank at work. I drove drunk. I drank every day. And it was miserable. I hated every part of my life. And I didn't see joy or happiness or a solution anywhere. It just didn't seem like there was any way out. It was just nonstop misery. The best thing that happened to me was when I was expelled from high school, I got a DUI, I was fired from my job, and I was kicked out of my home. And that happened just, <laughs> you know, back to back to back. And this all happened all at the age of 17. And uh, I had nowhere to go and I was offered rehab. Now, everything gets better in the story from here. In rehab, I saw that every problem in my life was associated with alcohol. And I thought every problem in my life was associated with someone else. It was the cops, it was the principal, it was my parents, it was my stupid boss, it was whoever. But they were just dealing with a drunken idiot. Anyone here ever deal with a drunken idiot? Come on, y'all got sponsees, right? <laughs> They're no fun to deal with. <laughs> so, <clears throat> I decided to quit just to show everyone that I could, and I made it less than 24 hours. I would have stepped over my own mother for a drink, and I was scared, and I became real willing real fast, because I thought, I can't do this. I don't know about anyone else or how long you drank before you realized you couldn't stop. But I never tried to stop. I never cared about stopping. I never cared about slowing down. I never cared about... Now, don't get me wrong. Literally every weekend, I would give myself this pep talk. I'm like, okay, Patrick, here we go. This is what we're going to do, okay? We are not going to get loaded and throw up all over the living room floor and pass out you know, and have to be dragged away. Um, we're not going to do that this time because we're going we're gonna to have it. We're going to eat a big meal, okay? And we're not going to start with those mixed drinks. We're just going to have a beer, and we're just going to sip the beer. We're not just going to chug the beer, okay? We don't have to be stupid like this. And every time I failed, it did not work out the way I wanted. I planned out how to drink successfully, and it never, ever, ever worked. 
So in rehab, I was told that I wasn't going to make it. I wasn't going to stay sober if I didn't go to meetings. So I went to meetings. At this point in my life, I was an atheist. There was no God. I was on my own. Had no desire for anything to do with God. Didn't believe in God. And I was fine with that. Now, it's funny, but right now, standing up here, saying that, I can see some of you tense up thinking, oh boy, here we go. Going in on God. And some of you are fine with it, but some tense up. It's okay. Keep coming back. In my first meeting, uh, it was small. I shared a little bit, you know, and I, 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 was, I was scared and, and, and not, not really like at, to be in the meeting. I was scared about all the mess that was in my life and what was happening and, you know, and I didn't know what to do. And this fella told me, God could give me a solution to my problems. And this sounded stupid to me. I don't know if anyone else has been there when the first time in a meeting the God thing is tossed up in your lap, like, here you go, here's a solution. And you're like, great, why don't I just walk outside and scream into the night? That's not going to do anything. And I, and, and I responded, I said, well, I don't believe in God. And this one old guy, he said, you don't need to believe in God for him to hear your prayers any more than you need to believe in trucks in order to get run over by one. And this is big important point number two in my story. I still hold on to that man's advice, and I bring it up all the time. It's one of the best things I've ever heard in these rooms. My belief in something doesn't make it so. In other words, the truth remains to be the truth whether I believe it or not. And if you have sponsees, you're going to run into this sooner or later where you're giving them the solution, you're going through the book, and they're trying to find an easier, softer way. And you say, look, buddy, I'm not trying to sell it. This is all I got. If you have a better idea, go try some controlled drinking. Maybe you're not an alcoholic. But if you want to get sober the way I did, we're going to do it this way. It doesn't matter if you think this program works. It doesn't. I know lots and lots of people who are way worse drunks than you who have been sober for a long time and they did it this way. So guess what? When I needed to get sober, I did it the way they did it. It didn't. None of them asked for my opinion. None of them, New York didn't call and say, Patrick, we're reading, you know, writing up the next edition. Could we get your two cents? I went home, and maybe for the first time in my life, I prayed. I felt better. I don't know what happened. 
I don't know how it works, but I felt better. Experience, strength, and hope, right? That's my experience. Maybe you all have a different experience. Maybe when you all pray, you feel miserable. I don't know. I'm telling you my experience is that I felt better. I have been sober 24 years. Is it 24 or will I have 20? I think I'll have 24. Okay, I'm, I'm a few months away. I have been sober 23 years, and I still pray. And I have never felt worse after praying than I did when I started praying. Not one time in 23 years. I went to a lot of meetings. I didn't have much else to do. I read the big book. I got a sponsor. And I started doing the steps. Now, if we were in church right now, that's where you'd scream amen. Okay? That was it. Lo and behold, it worked. I started putting on weight. I got color back in my face. And I started feeling comfortable with myself. I started smiling. And I was happy. And I didn't notice that until a young lady told me so. She was a cute girl at the meeting. So it meant a lot. My sponsor might have told me that a hundred times. I didn't care what the hell he said. <laughs> if you can believe it, I was accepted into college, and I drove up to Vermont to a small school near a big ski resort. I immediately found meetings, a sponsor, and a sober place to live. I had just over 90 days. Sobriety and recovery are really, really simple. It's not easy, but it's really simple. All you have to do is change everything. And if you're willing to do that, you're going to make it. Now, we're going to move on to one of the steps, my favorite step, and it's step three. Refusing to do step three is what will kill you. Now, maybe you like to say not doing step eight will kill you. What? Well, that's fine. You can have your step. I have mine. I'm just telling you, for me in my life, not doing step three was going to kill me. Made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Please listen up for the, just the next 30 seconds because this part is crazy when I realized this. Did you hear anything in step three about drinking? You can check. I'll get out of the way. Is there anything in there about drinking? There's nothing in step three about drinking. Only one of the 12 steps talks about alcohol and drinking. I'm going to say that again. Only one of the 12 steps talks about alcohol and drinking. That's the first one. That's it. Step three is about the will of Patrick. My will and my life up to this point, were a dumpster fire. That's how organized and wonderful it was. My drinking 
During that time, Patrick running his own life and, and the will of Patrick could mess up a rock fight. It was ridiculous. This is big important step number three, and I'm almost done. My life improves as much as I do God's will. That's it. There's a direct correlation to the improvement of my life and the will of God in my life. Whenever I do more of Patrick's will, my life goes downhill. <laughs> when I do more of God's will, Patrick's life gets better. Some of you in here know me, some of you don't. Some of you like me, some of you don't. Every one of you that doesn't like me is because you met me when I was in control of my life, whether it be for a day or a couple hours or whatever, and you dealt with an idiot. And I'm sorry about that. That's, not, that's sincerely not what I want to do and who I want to be. But it happens. That's why I have to daily, right? Steps 10, 11, and 12. Start out my day on my knees. Turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Okay, where was I? <laughs> Step three, and this idea is the greatest lesson I learned in my life, and not just in AA. It applies to all different parts of my life. I find great safety and comfort in hating my will. And loving God's will. Here's the problem. You ready for this? God's will never lines up with Patrick's will. So I don't get to do what I want most of the time. But God's will keeps me out of jail. God's will keeps me from getting into fistfights. God's will has worked out better for me and my wife and my kids and everyone in my life every single time I've done it. <clears throat> I found a sponsor who had what I wanted. Now, I'm talking about it, this is before, okay, so we'll, we'll get to you. My sponsor's here. I just don't want to say all these nice things and then like, he's going, wait a minute, that doesn't say, yeah. <clears throat> so I don't want to, you know. <clears throat> this, is, this is back when I'm first getting sober, okay. I found a sponsor who had what I wanted. The guy was happy. His family was happy. He was successful. He was sober. Get this, he smiled a lot. He was one of those guys that was in a good mood. And I thought, man. I want what that guy has. I didn't care what he was going to tell me to do at all. He could have said, Patrick, it's easy. You got to grab you a rabbit and you got to sacrifice him at the first full moon of every vernal equinox and be like, yeah, okay, yeah, got it. Rabbit, vernal equinox. I didn't care. If what he said would have given me what he had, I was in because my life was a dumpster fire. He took me through the steps and helped me avoid a great number of pitfalls in my life. <clears throat> mm -hmm. 
He did not tell me what I wanted to hear, not one time. He didn't care if I liked what he said at all. Uh, his advice was the, was the exact opposite of what I wanted to do. And get this now, I thank God that I was just smart enough not to listen to my will. That's it. I realized I don't need to be all that smart to get sober. Thank God. All I needed to do was be just smart enough to know that my will is a wreck and not to do it. That was it. I found someone that did know how to do it, and I did everything they said, and it worked. This is a true story. Everything up to this point has been a true story, but I don't know why you give that, give that caveat. Everyone's like, oh, okay, well, we better listen now. <laughs> Last year in my home group, there was this lady that was sharing, okay? And this lady was living in her car. Now, there's nothing wrong with living in your car. Lots of us have done it for a while. Okay, that's not the point. The point is that she was sharing about how great she was with money. I'll say that again. The lady who was living in her car was trying to convince all of us in the meeting how great she was with money. You want to guess how many of us ran up to her for financial advice after the meeting? Oh, I got a 401k question for you, ma'am. Can you, you, do you have a second? That's the beautiful lie we'll tell ourselves. Right? Sounds good. It's complete nonsense. The beautiful lie is what alcoholics will tell ourselves in every area of our lives, and it never helps. The greatest realization I had was step number three. My life was unmanageable. And my will was garbage. I stopped fighting that. I'm not here today to tell you how smart I am and that you should all do what I do. I threw that out, that nonsense out years and years ago. I love the idea that I'm an idiot, so I shouldn't be trusted. I lost the right to give myself financial advice or marital advice or advice on how to raise kids. I don't trust myself to, to give me advice on, on health or beauty or, or any of that. Why should I do it when everything I touch just falls apart? There's such an easier, softer way. <laughs> and it's just turning my will and my life over to the care of God. Doing it His way. The ugly truth for Patrick Hayes is that I mess up my life whenever I'm in charge. So I have lost the right. 24 years ago, if I sat down and made a list of everything I wanted out of sobriety, I would have shortchanged myself. And not by a little bit. 
God's plans for me and my life were so much greater than I could have ever asked for. By simply doing God's will instead of my own, letting God run my life instead of me. Now, I'm talking about God a lot. All right. Those of you that know me knew this was coming. I'm the God guy. I don't have other answers. This is all you're going to get when you hear me share. Come to my home group. You're going to get, you know, I don't know what your solution is. That's my solution. I was an atheist when I showed up. At best, I hated God. Do you know that today I'm a pastor? I'm a pastor of a small church. Now, I'm a pastor that smokes cigars and curses a little, and if you can't handle that, I don't know what to tell you. you it's fine. Probably wouldn't make it at our church. We don't like phonies. <laughs> That's where I've come. You don't have to go down that road. You don't have to go down that road to get sober. But you do have to turn your will and your life over to the care of God to get sober. That you do have to do. You don't have to take it up with me. Call Bill W. About 16 or 17 years ago, I went and found a bunch of guys whose wives were exactly what I wanted in a wife. These guys were married forever. Their wife was sweet and happy, loved kids, smiled a lot. Just the kind of lady you just like being around. They just, you know, like an, I don't know, just felt comfortable around. She was basically the exact opposite of my, my Aunt Nancy. Aunt Nancy from Brooklyn. That lady was a bitch. <laughs> that lady never baked a cookie in her life. As a kid, all she ever did was make me cry. Miserable woman. When she would show up, the sun would go dark and birds would stop singing. I didn't want that in a wife. So I followed the advice of these other men. I didn't just go after a pretty smile. They, told, they warned me of that. They said, that can lead you to ruin. There are plenty of good women with a pretty smile. Okay, but you can't be tempted by that. And those of you who know my wife, you know I won the lottery. I married way over my head. After I got married, I went to my friends with well-behaved, successful kids. I asked them what to do. They said, do this, do that. I said, read this book, do what it says. We did that, and we have wonderful kids. I love my kids. We have six kids from 14 down to six. Someone told me, I couldn't handle that. I said, neither could I. My kids acted like yours. <laughs> they don't speak to me anymore. <laughs> 20 years ago, I started asking rich, successful men how they became rich and successful. Do you know they've written books on that? <laughs> I followed their advice for 20 years, and today I'm rich. Now, none of these things happened because I am smart. I want to make that so clear. I'm not up here to tell you 
about how wonderful I am. I'm here to tell you that I was just smart enough to recognize that when I run my life, it's a train wreck. So I need to follow someone else's roadmap. I got a sponsor and I did it their way. I found a God and I did it his way. Every area of my life that I have had success in has been because I did not do it my way. I found someone who was good at it and I did it their way. If I started giving you advice on going to the gym and working out, you should chuckle and turn around and walk away because it's nonsense. I'm 50 pounds overweight. The people that are successful in the gym, they hire someone to tell them what to do and they show up with a clipboard. I don't know what's on the clipboard. And they go here and they have a watch and they write stuff down and they go here and they all look like Greek gods. Go ask them what to do to get in shape. It's that easy. Now I am good at something. I am good at sponsoring guys. I'm batting a thousand. Hundred percent. Every single guy I sponsor keeps me sober. How's that for odds? You wondering how my sponsees are doing? I don't know. Probably half drunk or dead. I don't talk to those losers. <laughs> You know, a while ago, I interviewed about a dozen folks who, in AA, who I thought did a great job at sponsoring people. About six ladies, six fellas, learned everything I could from them. And it helps me to be a better sponsor for my guys. Only one of these sponsors had more time than I did. It wasn't about that. It's not a pride thing. Do you know that just because I have 23 years doesn't mean I know anything? Do you know that? That time does not equal intelligence or wisdom at all. I just wanted to improve myself to try to do a better job for my guys. I thought they deserved that. So I went and tried to learn what I could. And it helped. The greatest thing that any of us could do is we could give up on trying to run the show ourselves and we could take step three seriously. I didn't take step three seriously the first time. And the, my first three years of sobriety were rough. I had some rough times where I did stupid things. I was out of state one time and I ran out of money. I know how to make money real quick. I'm just buy and sell some drugs. I did that at three years sober. I ended up in jail once after I was sober. Do you know that's when I redid my third step? I was in Portland, Oregon in this jail cell and they were transferring all these lifers down through the system down to California where they were going to serve the rest of their lives and they're all in jumpsuits and these guys looked rough. And I was sitting in there and I was like, 
if I keep doing this, I'm going to end up just like them. i got to change something. And I got down on my knees and I said, God, I don't care who you are. If you show me who you are, I promise I will follow you the rest of my life and do whatever you say. I'm done running the show. It was the greatest third step prayer that happened in my life. And I did that ever since. Now, look, we're right at, you know, an hour. So this is perfect timing because I want to be done. When I came into this program, I didn't like God. I didn't like the idea of God. I didn't like the idea of praying. And it was all, it was all pride. I didn't like the idea that I couldn't do it and that I needed help. I didn't like any of that, you know. And I found that the more I gave up, the better everything was. And I got to a point today where God is the single biggest thing in my life. God is everything or he's nothing. In my life, God is everything. And, you know, I'll tell you this. Like I said, I pastor a church. I love teaching the Bible. That's something I love to do. Some of you come and attend. That's great. Most of you don't. That's fine. But I will tell you this. If anyone here under the power of my voice is not 100% sure that if they were to die today, they'd go to heaven when they died, and they want to know that, come talk to me after. I would love to take the Bible and show you that. But you ready for this? That right there, that little offer, that's not for all of you. That's for maybe one of you, maybe two, where God's been poking you, and you've been concerned about that. And even right now, you're thinking, man, I wonder if that's for me. Great. And if that's not for you, that's fine. That's God of my understanding. And that's what's changed my life. I take this program seriously. I love this program. Craig, I am so grateful you asked me to do this. It's been years since I've done this, and I thank you for it. And I know some of you hated this whole hour because it was kind of God-heavy. And others of you thought, this is a breath of fresh air. Because you want to know what? God is directly mentioned in almost every one of these steps. And it's a shame that he's not talked about more in these rooms. And as years go on in this program, I am, I am continually fearful that we are trying to make this program agnostic or atheistic, and it wasn't. You can get the book from Bill W. Read his biography. Read Dr. Bob's biography. That's AA-approved literature. That's not what those guys intended. Those guys intended that we give up on our stupid will and we give it over to God. Do you know that the as-we-understand-him part that they underlined in in, uh, step three, do you know they added that? Because some people were so sensitive that they couldn't handle it, the idea that there might actually be a God. So they put that in there for, for you know, all the weak hands. That we're going to get upset and leave this program because we offer a spiritual solution. That was not the intent of Alcoholics Anonymous. Sorry I get a little upset about that. <laughs> you know what? God's the reason I'm sober here today. Okay. This program introduced me to God, and I thank God for those guys back in in New Jersey that were serious about it and wouldn't let me get around that. Thank God for those folks. My wife has never seen me drunk. My kids have never seen me drunk. 
I owe my life to this program and the God that this program represents. And I hope I, you know, I, I, whenever I share, I want to be honest with you. Whether you hate it or whether it's a relief to you, I got to be honest because that's my experience. That's my strength. And that's my hope. Thank you very much. You guys were wonderful. Thank you for putting up with me. I don't know if it helped at all, but I sure had a good time yelling. <laughs> Thank you so much, Patrick. Let's close this meeting with Patrick's uh, prayer of choice.